At American University, we don't just hope for change, we create it. We don't just dream of a better world, we make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout DC to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash gradschool. Hi there, I'm Max Kaiser. This is the Kaiser Report. You've all heard that expression, if you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. Sounds logical, right? Not for one particular industry. Stacy. Well, in, indeed. In fact, there are two industries, and we've talked about them often. That's the tech industry. We have the Tech Bubble 2.0 with WeWork, Uber, Lyft, Peloton, all of those sort of companies, and we have the fracking one. And that's important for this first headline from WallStreet.com because he looks at all these bubbles going on. What he says is, here's what I'm worried about with the everything bubble. How cash burn machines power the real economy and what happens to the economy when investors refuse to have more of their cash burned. So he calls it the cash burn machines. These are investors willing to just keep throwing money into ever losing operations. We work in uh, Uber, of course. They've been losing money for 10 years or less in the case of WeWork, but they keep on throwing money and they're willing because there's always somebody to flip to. They all share two things in common. One, they're fabulously efficient, finely tuned, and endlessly perfected cash burn machines. And two, investors in these companies count on new cash from new investors to bail out and remunerate the existing investors, otherwise known as a Ponzi scheme or a pyramid scheme. This is uh, essentially what's driving the economy is burning cash. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, a beautiful thing because it doesn't cost anything. You can get all the cash you want from the central bank for free. They give, they give you trillions and trillions of dollars if you're a friend of theirs. Uh, you get to burn a trillion and you keep a billion. That's the deal. So let's say Hillary Clinton's uh, foreign policy, for example. The uh, government gives her a few trillion dollars. She burns countries down, but she gets a billion dollars in fees. Uh, that's true of hedge funds. That's true of private equity funds. They get trillions of dollars from the central bank. They burn everything down. They're arsonists, but they get to keep a nice uh, souvenir, like a billion dollars, like uh, Mitt Romney. He's a good example of somebody who made a business out of this. And, uh, and eventually, though, you run out of um, the uh, free money runs out. In the case of uh, Venezuela, for example, this is a true fact. Um, they actually ran out of ink to uh, print uh, the money that they were burning. Uh, and that was the end of that. We've seen over the past de 30, 40 years, interest rates have been declining and declining and declining and declining. So they're always able to roll it over and sell it to another chump because there's always another chump at the end of a declining interest rate curve. So, however, what we've seen since the financial crisis since 2008 is not only are interest rates declining, but the Fed keeps giving their friends the free money and hoping that it's going to trickle down. Well, it never trickles down because they've kept everything private. They kept all of those unicorns, those tech unicorns, which are on paper that they were uh, worth billions and billions and billions of dollars. The, the ordinary chump, they thought like, hey, we're getting free money from the Fed. 
right? So why should we let the ordinary chump get in on this? Because it's free money for us, and we just can just keep throwing money at it and raising our own valuation. And on paper, we get to then uh, leverage ourselves up and buy real assets, buy properties in New York City, buy land, buy gold, buy Bitcoin. Um, but now, <laughs> as we hit zero and even negative in some places, it's all falling apart, right? Because they, they aren't able to find these willing investors or who are so easily able to throw money away. So, for example, many of these shale oil companies are privately owned, including by private equity firms. And it's hard to get cash flow data out on them. But, for example, just to get a feel for the magnitude of how much money they're burning, by sorting through 29 publicly traded shale oil companies, the Institute for Energy, Economics and Financial Analysis found that between 2010 through 2018, $181 billion in cash was burned. Plus, there's a cash burned by the privately held companies. So the total Total cash burn is likely in the neighborhood of several hundred billion bucks. All right, during the Weimar Republic, they, they didn't go through the artifice of creating a public company or a private company. They just burned the actual cash in the uh, stove to yeah. keep warm. Here they've created uh, an ostensible business model of fracking, uh, which is another uh, euphemism for burning cash, right? Because it takes more energy in than they get out. It takes more cash in than they get out. It is literally a bottomless pit of cash that is, by definition, impossible to make a profit from. And in the private market, like a WeWork or other tech companies that are in the private market, there's a mass hallucination going on where they think that, well, we need to become the biggest energy exporter and producer in the world, and the Saudis are no good, and America's number one energy in the company uh, in the world. So we're going to take uh, five, six, seven trillion dollars. We're going to light it on fire uh, up there in North Dakota and claim that we're the number one energy uh, provider in the world. The Fed, who is the one that is giving them this free money, keeps on looking around at their real economy and going, why aren't wages rising? Why is the economy so weak? We just gave our friends $10 trillion, $14 trillion since the financial crisis. Where is all of this going? They have to watch Kai's report and learn that literally the guys you're giving it to are just burning it because they just, you're giving them too much. They're just trashing it. They, they don't respect it. It's, uh, it's free money is not respected. The beatings will continue until morale improves, or in this case, the money printing will continue until inflation improves. Now, you never get inflation from money printing in this way. You only get deflation. We've been saying that for 10 years, even though it's against all economic orthodoxy that's been taught in business schools for decades. They always say you print money, you get inflation. Uh, we said, actually, in this environment, you print money, you get deflation. And that's exactly what's now happening, because in this environment, the money printing has crowded out all of the viable businesses and kept the unviable or invaluable or crash companies afloat and becoming zombie companies and zombie banks. And, uh, but, of course, they're going to keep printing uh, until there's nothing left and we lose supremacy to China, I'm, I'm afraid to say. The money is still printed, obviously. It's, it's being printed in the repo markets. It's being pr printed to protect these people. And remember, uh, it used to be $1 of GDP when you and I were young and entering the workforce. $1 of debt would create $1 of GDP or even $2 of GDP. 
Now it's about $7 of debt creates $1 of GDP. The experts allowed on CNBC wag their finger and point their finger at the millennials and call them socialists and what are these kids that don't know anything. And it's like, they see that number that like, wait, if it's taking $7 of debt now to create $1 of GDP, soon it's going to be 14 and then it's going to be $32. And who's going to pay that debt? Me, right? Like the 19-year-old, the 20-year-old, the 25-year-old is going to be owing that. But the only reason these companies have had such growth is because investors didn't care about the business model profits and positive cash flows. All these investors cared about is the likelihood that the cash-burning company would be able to raise new money from new investors, such as by issuing new bonds or new shares so that it could pay off and remunerate the existing investors and existing stockholders counted on this new money to keep the company afloat and share prices sky high. And I would extend this to the actual generational situation happening here in America is all these boomers and the Generation X after them, they kept on spending and, and accumulating this debt because they thought, well, we, we don't need to have $2 of GDP growth for every dollar of debt because eventually we could just keep on rolling it over to another generation of chumps and that will pay us off. That will allow this to continue. But we're at an end point with that. In fact, if you were to apply the same definition of GDP today as was used 30 years ago or 40 years ago, it wouldn't be 7 or $8 of debt. Uh, it would be um, closer to $80 that needs to be associated with that. So it's the same as saying infinite, right? You don't get any growth. Uh, and you don't get any tax revenue at all because the people who are printing the money don't rely on taxes to get wealthy. They're not part of the real economy. That's, a, that's the same thing as saying the rulers of Saudi Arabia rely on the wages of the people living in Saudi Arabia to get rich. They, they don't. They just print more or pump more oil. So in America, the princes that run our economy just print more money. They don't need the workers. They don't need their taxes. That's why they don't have wage growth. That's why there's been an evisceration because they're unneeded. We're going to turn to a story that kind of ties these all together because the coal industry, of course, is going bankrupt because of the fracking industry providing natural gas, uh, an oversupply of it, which is driving down the cost of setting up a natural gas uh, energy uh, power facility rather than a coal facility. But this story, of course, emanates from West Virginia, Kentucky, and Virginia, all states that voted for Trump. And West Virginia, in fact, went for Trump by 42 points, the biggest in the history of West Virginia over Hillary. So MSNBC has not covered this, though this is a very much a, a worker story that workers united and, and, and got their way against a corporation that was using the, um, the loopholes in U.S. law to basically get, you know, uh, short-changed on their, what they were due. After months of protests and turmoil, Black Jewel agrees to pay its Kentucky coal miners. Black Jewel LLC, the coal company that had declared bankruptcy earlier this year and left hundreds of Kentucky miners unpaid for weeks of work, sparking a two-month-long protest in Harlan County, has agreed to pay roughly $5.1 million to cover back wages of its Kentucky, Virginia, and West Virginia miners. According to the settlement approved by the U.S. District Court for Eastern District of Kentucky this week, uh, they're going to start sending the uh, checks out over the next week, but they, the workers, the coal miners, had occupied like the rail tracks and kept, prevented 
any of their coal from being sent out. It was two, three million dollars worth of coal because they felt it was due for them. Of course, that's kind of like what you see in France. But also how it connects to fracking is, remember, with frackers going out of business, what they're doing is they're supposed to pay a bond. They're supposed to provide a bond to the state like North Dakota for the cleanup costs. And it costs something like two to two and a half million dollars to clean up a well. Uh, they're abandoning them. And they, apparently there's not enough bond that they have left to even cover the cost of it, so the taxpayer is paying it. Here are the same thing. Black Jewel's bankruptcy also raised questions about the Kentucky Department of Labor's enforcement of a performance bond that is required from new construction and mining companies to cover wages. The bond requires mining and construction companies that have been doing business in the state for less than five years to post a bond to cover wages if the companies go under and are unable to pay. Apparently, there was no bond in this situation. They didn't have any money to pay these workers when they went bust. Corporations are always going to abuse workers. That's why there needs to be organized labor. Now, people who are free market boosters will say, no, no, you need to just let the market decide everything. And uh, I'm all for that, but you'd have to include the, the central bank. As long as the central bank is being manipulated by bankers and there's not a free market in money, the price of money is fixed to encourage this type of aberrant behavior, then there needs to be organized labor. That's the, that's the flywheel, that's the counterbalance to the central bank is organized labor. The, 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 the irony is that organized labor is the last group to understand this. They, they should get their act together and tie their wages to the uh, percentage of money supply printing. But also in this case, Martin Luther King Jr. would have uh, been able to warn the population of today what this is entailing, i.e. we are divided conveniently for, I believe, the elite into red team and blue team. You're either in the partisan talking points of the Republicans or the Democrats. So, of course, the entire Democratic media, and it's way bigger than, it's, you know, there's just Fox News and then there's CNN and MSNBC and all the others. They, they, nobody discussed this. They're not talking about this. And they, they're unified in the same way. They're being, they're being exploited and uh, robbed, essentially, by the same... Uh, the same guys rigging the precious metals markets are the same people involved in rigging uh, this situation where workers, these guys put in the hours, they put in two weeks of work, and they were never paid for it. And then they had to do something about it because nobody else was willing to help them out. Or, or you could be like the Sackler family and look at this catastrophe and say, hey, this is a great place to sell synthetic opium. <laughs> right on, dude. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, much more coming your way. Okay, welcome back to the Kaiser Report. I'm Max Kaiser. Time now to return and continue with our conversation. David Morgan of the Morgan Report, welcome back. Thank you, Max. All righty. Well, we're so much to cover. Let's try to just dive right into it. Following up on our conversation, Mr. Morgan, about the de-dollarization of the world. Seems like people are uh, getting rid of the dollar. We see that in the numbers in terms of dollar being used in global trade. It's all been falling for the last 20 years. Uh, Rosneft just stopped pricing their contracts in dollars. Several years ago, Jim Rickard said on this show that when Obama weaponized the dollar via SWIFT, it would cause nations to seek alternatives. Is this part of that move? Uh, Rosneft, of course, is, I guess, the biggest gas company in Russia. What do you think? I agree. I think that, uh, you know, the BRICs have pretty much made a stance that they want to 
Yeah, remove themselves from the dollar as much as possible. We've seen all kinds of big trade deals done between like China and Russia and their own currencies, uh, circumventing the dollar altogether. Right. So de-dollarization, you see that is in place, all I, happening. I do. On that score, a few months ago, Congressman Brad Sherman pointed out that, quote, an awful lot of the international power of America comes from the fact that the dollar is the standard unit of international finance and transactions. Clearing through the New York Fed is critical for major oil transactions. Do you agree with that? And what does it mean that major economies are moving away from clearing through the Fed? That means a lot. I mean, as you, anyone who's done even a cursory study of the current economic system knows that we have the petrodollar and everything, all oil transactions at one time needed to be cleared by buying U.S. dollars. So put a huge pressure to keep the dollar stable and the number one currency in the world. This has, of course, been changed over the recent times, as you've mentioned and I just mentioned. You're seeing settlement outside of the U.S. dollar. So we'll take the dollar down eventually, in my view, along with several other things. I mean, as we said earlier in the segment, we could have uh, hyperinflation. We could have a debt liquidity depression. And, of course, as an Austrian, I'm not supposed to say you could have both. But you could have a situation where wages are frozen and yet prices run away. And let's say it's not really hyperinflation. Let's just say that the essentials like energy and food doubled in price and your wages stayed the same. If that were to occur, what would uh, that do to the average American? You know, that's an interesting point. So you could freeze wages and let prices go up. And I've said mm -hmm. in a previous show that if you're going to allow the Fed to manipulate prices, you should allow organized labor. Because if you don't want organized labor, okay, fine, but get rid of the uh, manipulators of the Fed, yeah. right? So there's right. two. There's a flywheel. There's a counterbalance there. Now um, you mentioned the petrodollar. Of course, that goes back to Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia seems like they're completely in flux. First of all, um, they are trying to sell Aramco, that big state mm -hmm. oil company. They, they're not able to sell it, and it seems as though they're desperate to sell it because they've got a huge debt problem, and that's not happening. Uh, they've got a lot of uh, political shenanigans going on. Uh, they're, they're being revealed. Uh, all kinds of atrocities are being uh, performed by and, over, and overseen by the leadership there. And um, I know that, you know, politics is not necessarily what you look at when you look at these markets, but um, it, aren't we at kind of, in historically speaking, um, when you talk about de-dollarization, aren't we also maybe at a point of de-globalization? And instead of going with this globalized world and economy that we've been in for since World War II, it's back to more of a mercantilist, every country for itself mentality. Absolutely. I mean, on the Aramco, my comment there is, you know, Twilight in the Desert by Matt Simmons, which no one ever brings to the fore anymore. Perhaps they don't really have the reserves that they, they claim, and they are in big trouble for several reasons. Back to the other comment, absolutely. I mean, I think Trump is just kind of the tip of the spear or maybe near the tip of the spear as far as back to nationalization, no more globalization, every country. And you see it throughout the world in the political class that a lot of these countries are moving more toward, you know, me first or let's get our house in order first before we move into this globalization situation, if at all. And it's very important to see the big shift. I think that's probably the biggest shift that we're seeing on the, on the, in the world, really. Right. So Matt Simmons, Twilight in the Desert, and talking about peak oil. And that was a theme 10 years ago. You know, right. We made a film about it. Shortly thereafter, the whole fracking boom took off. Mm -hmm. And you don't hear about peak oil anymore. However, two things. Number one, fracking is net negative. It's cash flow negative. Mm -hmm. It's also energy negative. Mm -hmm. it takes more energy that goes in that comes out. It takes more cash that goes in that comes out. 
number one. So that's a bust. That's not true. That's a canard. So you get back to the peak oil theme and back to Matt Simmons' book. So the Saudi oil reserves, the Gawar field mm. being the world's largest, says the idea that that is actually is close to depletion or the cost of, of getting or extracting is, is prohibitive. That, where are we on that uh, scale of things? Well, I don't think anyone knows, but if you read, the, and I'm sure you probably read the book, but I mean, the amount of water that they have to pump in to get this oily film and then take the water out to get back to oil is immense. So I think we're closer than most people think, and I couldn't agree more. I think you were very eloquent in what you said about fracking. I'm not a fan of fracking. I'm not a fan. I'm a fan of true capitalism, which you can find rarely. But if you are producing a loss on every barrel of oil or of the gas you get out of the fracking system, then why do you continue? And I, I don't really know the answer. Well, it's fed that. by cheap money. Yeah. Right? Okay, and that cheap money is um, being um, enabled by a repudiation of all the laws of supply and demand. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not capitalism. It's not economics. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a kleptocracy driven by a Politburo of interest rate setters that make the Soviet Union blush. The old guys are rolling in their graves because they're like... <laughs> It doesn't work, guys. Well said. I could right? say it nearly as well as you did. <laughs> like right. we're trying to recreate the Soviet Union in America and wondering why it's not working. Meanwhile, the Russians are embracing America of the 1950s. You know, I, have to, I have to interrupt you because one of the best things I heard was, you know, America is becoming Russia and Russia is becoming America. And I thought, how succinct. I said that years ago. It's two ships passing in the night. Yeah. It's like uh, Putin is like Eisenhower. Mm -hmm. Essentially, and that's the that period maps, mm -hmm. and the U.S. is is, is rapidly uh, falling into uh, Sovietization. So let's talk about uh, gold miners. They've had a good year, but a bad decade. Are they cheap here? Your thoughts on the mining sector? Okay, now back to gold and gold mining. Yay! First of all, let's wake up because gold's been in a deep slumber for mm -hmm. years and years. Yes. You know, we, we're so old. We remember the, the crash J.P. Morgan buy silver campaign. That's how old we are. That's right. Okay, so gold miners, what, what, what are your thoughts there, David Morgan? No, I think that they are still cheap. I mean, Barron's does a gold index, and I forget exactly when it was, but probably in recent history, the last couple of years, it was like a 70-year low. So if you want to buy low, you certainly want to buy the miners in this space. It hasn't really What risen. about the ratio, gold-silver ratio? It got to like 90 or something? Yes. And now it's contracting? Somewhat. Yeah. Silver is undervalued on any basis, and it's undervalued relative to gold as Is well. it true you dyed your hair silver just to, be, yeah, right. to look more like a silver guru? No, it's not. That's natural? <laughs> That's natural. Oh, okay. There was so, a big thought in the conversation. Yeah, no. that, uh, now how, do I, how do I dig my way out of that? Yeah. Now, so the gold-silver ratio is contracting, um, you know, but as we've been pointing out, and I think this is the key, Against every other currency in the world, gold's making new all-time highs. Right. Right? Against the euro, against the yen, against the rupee, against, um, the ruble. Forget about it. It's like uh, Argentina, Venezuela. It's up magnitudes mag multiple times. So what's it going to take to get it in dollar terms? Do we care, really? The silver miners, if costs come down through a deflation and the currencies collapse, that would be like a turbocharged case for the miners. Because their overhead, their costs are going to drop, mm -hmm. uh, and the, the margins are going to skyrocket because the prices of gold and silver are going to go up. How do you like that for a bull case? Does that I make like, any sense? I like it, but we also have to come back to oil. I mean, it's, it's energy to get this stuff out of the ground, and if there is a contraction in the oil supply, which I think could happen, this fracking thing isn't going to last a whole lot long. I'm not talking about my lifetime, but maybe you know, ten, maybe only five years. It's hard to say. 
forecast. The point is that you got to factor that in as well. But you're correct, Max. I mean, it could have a scenario. I think it's going to go the other way. I think it's going to cost more and more. You know, it's energy in, energy out. It's kind of how I think of things these days and how much energy does it take to get that ounce of silver, not only out of the ground, but to refine it and put it in, you know, uh, investment grade. And it takes quite a bit. Now, just for those who missed it in the first, our first conversation, you uh, gifted me this, or maybe it wasn't gifted, but it is now. I've been uh, commandeered this coin. So explain the story of this coin again so people have a, a knowledge of the, you know, money used to mean money, used to mean yeah. precious metals. So what is this again? Well, it's a Morgan Head dollar. Morgan it's, Head dollar. It's a dollar as a weight. It's 371.25 grains of 999 fine silver. And it's really 0.77 of a troy ounce. So it's you know, roughly three quarters of an ounce. Hugo Salinas Price in Mexico. Mm -hmm. He's been trying for years to get Mexico to go to a silver standard. Yes. And he has an enormously brilliant plan to do so. Cool. How to create a, uh, essentially two currency system and to essentially roll over into becoming a silver-backed currency over time. Right. And as you point out, it's quoted in weight. And then that is a way uh, to uh, establish a, an accounting system in that economy that would benefit it, benefit it wildly. The, the, Mexico is a country, in do, in, in, seemingly, I believe, that would benefit from maybe re-architecting the financial system in a way that they can start to cure some of these problems that they're having. Is going to a silver standard in Mexico a good idea? Is Hugo Salinas Price, and we're going to see him in a few months, is this correct? David Morgan of the Morgan Report. Yeah. Well, first off, he and I are fairly close. And yes, it would have a huge benefit. I mean, anything like oil, silver, timber, any main commodity that's in abundance is you're wealthy. I mean, by definition, because these are real things needed in the real world. And yet someone like Mexico that's sometimes number one or two of silver mining in the entire planet is not rewarded for that real, that's real capital. The plata. Exactly. They, they got the, the number one or two silver mining in the world, and they're not benefiting from this in Mexico. Exactly. This is outrageous, David Morgan <laughs> of the Morgan Report. It is. Well, you know, last time we were with Hugo, we flew to Athens during the, Athens, the Greek financial mm -hmm. crisis, and we made a presentation to the government about silver because right, they have silver. Yeah. And they foolishly took on the uh, Troika, and they went that way, and the economy went down to tubes. Well, going back to the pyramid, I mean, the bankers are really at the top of the pyramid, and they're not going to give up their monopoly to get something for nothing. They are you meddling with the forces of the universe again? I'm trying. <laughs> Where can people find your work? TheMorganReport.com. Really? Yes. Is it, and is there a hyphen or anything, or is it just Morgan Report? The Morgan Report. MorganReport.com. Thanks Morgan. for being on the Kaiser Report. Max, always a pleasure. Thank you. That's going to do it for this edition of the Kaiser Report with me, Max Kaiser, and Stacey Urban. I'd like to thank our guest, David Morgan of The Morgan Report. If you'd like to catch us on Twitter, it's Kaiser Report. Until next time, bye, y'all.